0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. After 127 years, there will be no Rosh Hashanah celebration next week at Temple Aaron in Trinidad. Colorado's oldest continuously operating synagogue held its last service just before the Jewish New Year and High Holy Days, and it's already on the market. Randy Rubin from nearby Raton, New Mexico, leads the congregation. Randy, welcome to the program.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Nathan.
0: So take us to this 1889 temple. Uh, What's it look like when you see it in person?
1: Well, it's a magnificent structure. It sits atop a hill in Trinidad, Colorado, and has a grand vista overlooking the whole, if I may use the word, Trinidad Valley. Uh, It's quite a, a place to see, and it has, as I said, a commanding view. It's got red brick. It's got a Moorish influence with German influence also it was designed by the famous rep architects who popularized the territorial style in Santa Fe and it's got magnificent stained glass in basic colors and the part that's hard for us to accept is the end of the line after 127 years yeah
0: I understand you hosted the Temple's final event last Saturday. That was a lecture by the University of Colorado Boulder's Jewish Studies program. And during the lecture, there was a short performance on the pipe organ. What can you tell us about the organ?
1: The organ is an SD organ. It was made in Brattleboro, Vermont. I'm not quite sure the year of it, but it's probably got about 40 feet of gold pipes. They're painted gold, I might add, around the circumference of the organ at top. And it has two keyboards with a lot of different organ stops and ways of making the organ sound different. And quite a number of foot pedals. Everything is wood. And it has a magnificent sound that resonates well in that large space. It's plaster with uh, wood, so it it has a majestic sound.
0: And it's been there it, for as for as long as you can remember, isn't that right?
1: Oh yes, I think it's a minimum of eighty to well, I would say eighty or ninety years old. I'm not sure it's the original one, Nathan. That was installed. Uh, it's all wood and seen it from behind, which we're able to do. Everything is wood with various bellows and things like that. Another, I find, interesting point, when I was a child in the synagogue, when it's turned on, there's this whirring noise as the bellows filled up. And it's kind of, well, you realize that the organ is being prepared for play.
0: How did this temple form in an area that's not exactly known for Jewish culture?
1: In 1883, there was an influx of Jewish merchants and traders along the Santa Fe Trail prior to the railroad coming into Trinidad. And the original, or the first mayor of Trinidad, was a fellow by the name of Jaffa, and they organized a synagogue, well, I shouldn't say a synagogue, they organized a congregation in 1883, and a short six years later, they had enough wherewithal to build Temple Aaron. For the low price of twelve thousand five hundred dollars in those days, and it's remained intact, and going since that time.
0: And it's been a hundred years since there were weekly services at the temple. Uh, how much use has the synagogue had in recent
1: years? I'm sorry, repeat that again, please.
0: How much uh, use has the synagogue had in recent years? Uh,
1: well, we've had high holiday services uh, for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and a community Passover as well as an interfaith program that we open up the temple, invite the entire Trinidad and Raton communities, and we have a speaker and light refreshments after. So I would say a total of about six days a year, and occasionally we've had Hanukkah parties. So the, the usage has dropped since 1916. That was when the last resident rabbi was there, Rabbi Freudenthal. He was the original and last.
0: But, you know, photos I've seen of the temple show it's still in remarkable shape. How difficult has the upkeep been, especially since the building's not in regular use?
1: It's been somewhat difficult, but we've had a great partnership with History Colorado. They've been most cooperative, and we've tried to do our part also. And they've stabilized the building, and that has made the the appearance as well as the structure as good as it is. It's been well taken care of. We've tried to do the right things by it. The grass is green. We sweep it. It's cleaned. It's polished. It's dusted, as well as the, you know, the infrastructure itself being taken care of. But it has been a very difficult undertaking. And that's one of the reasons, unfortunately, and it's heartbreaking for us. It's emotional that we've had to put it on the market.
0: And and that's one of the main reasons. Is that the only reason why you're selling it now?
1: That, and there's a declining, very small Jewish population in this area. Although our membership extends from Denver to Albuquerque, there's only about 12 paid members in our very, very small congregation, and the dues just don't sustain the amount of money needed to maintain it.
0: What's going to happen to the Torahs, the sacred scrolls, if the temple is sold for a non-Jewish use?
1: great question. Uh, We have sold one to a congregation in Denver, and there's a group of people in Albuquerque looking at another, and they'll be here next week to inspect them. And there's three more. Uh, The congregation would like to retain one should we ever be able to have services again. And that's still an unknown question. I don't know if it would be donated, to another Jewish institution or possibly put into some sort of museum, that's kind of unknown. We've never gone down this path before, as you might imagine.
0: Well, with that said, how has the temple closing affected you and the congregation?
1: Nathan, it's been heartbreaking. I just got off the phone with my mother, who's 93 years old and lives in Colorado Springs. We're all feeling like the diaspora has come upon us. All my life I've had a place to go for contemplation, meditation and of course worship, and it's over. And this has been very very difficult. My mother's association our family started in 1946 when she married my father and moved to Raton from Albuquerque, and it's been it's very difficult. We've had a succession of terrific rabbis with good sermons that's led that have led great worship services um, it, it's it's heartbreaking and I, I don't mean to sound too emotional but
0: well, it's well not your there. your parents took care of the temple before you and and your family's been involved in the congregation for for many years and i i was told you even had your bar mitzvah there
1: i did have my bar mitzvah there as my brother did and mine was in 60, 1962 my brother was in 1964 my daughter was bat mitzvah there and my son was bar mitzvah there uh, those are the last ones that possibly could ever take place there. So we've had a long association with, a, with Temple Aaron. And after B. Sanders passed away, uh, my, mo- my mother and father took over the care of the temple in 1985. And when they moved from Raton to Colorado Springs, I assumed the mantle and have tried to keep the flame going.
0: Is there any prospect for the building, maybe a county or, or city looking at, at taking it on? or.
1: At this point, we don't think so. Uh, there's, we've put it on the market with a real estate broker out of Colorado Springs, and that seems to be the path we're going to be taking. And it's eventual use. Obviously, we don't know, but I hope it remains some sort of sacred place with a connection to what it's been for 127 years.
0: Oh, well, Rosh Hashanah, the yes. Jewish New Year, begins on Sunday evening. What's the New Year greeting?
1: Lashona Tova.
0: And, and I hear in New, in, in New Mexico you say something a little bit different.
1: Yes, I'd like to say Lashona Tova a usted también. Happy New Year and the same to you.
0: Well, Lashonah Tova y tú también to you. Thanks for joining us, Randy.
1: Muchas gracias. Thank you, Nathan. It's been a pleasure.
0: Randy Rubin leads the Congregation of Temple Aaron in Trinidad. The temple is closing after 127 years and is on the market. We've posted a link to a 360-degree panorama of the temple at cprnews.org. Just ahead, the story of the first African-American candidate for U.S. astronaut. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Back with Colorado Matters from CPR News, I'm Nathan Heffel. In 1983, Guy Bluford was the first African-American to go into space. Had history taken a different turn, another man might have cracked the race barrier a generation earlier, Ed Dwight Jr. In the 1960s, Dwight worked hard to become an astronaut, but didn't make the cut, sparking allegations of racism. Now, an online petition is asking the federal government to recognize Ed Dwight Jr. as an honorary astronaut, I spoke to Ed, now a celebrated sculptor in Denver, last year. Also joining me was Richard Paul, co-author of We Could Not Fail, a book highlighting the struggles and successes of African Americans in NASA's early days. Not so long ago... In the 1950s and early 60s, African-Americans found it difficult to even join NASA, let alone become an astronaut. But but Richard, that changed in the Kennedy administration.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a sequence of events that happens over the course of about five weeks in 1961 that draws race and space together. I'm going to give you this brief rundown because it actually ends with Ed Dwight, and we can throw it back <laughs> to him. But on April 12th, Yuri Gagarin becomes the first human being in space. Mm-hmm. And then eight days later, the Bay of Pigs happens. And so the United States is now way behind the Soviet Union because they're, they're in space and now they've got an ally 90 miles off of Florida. President Kennedy calls up President Johnson, who at the t- Vice President Johnson, who was at the time the head of the Space Council and he says, "Come up with something fast in space." Um, Because outer space is going to be the Hail Mary pass that uh, changes the subject and gets everybody no longer thinking about how far behind we are. So May 5th, Alan Shepard becomes the first American in space. Nine days later, the Freedom Rides start. May 24th, the Freedom Riders bus is firebombed in Anniston, Alabama. And the next day, President Kennedy commits to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. A week later, mobs riot around the Freedom Riders bus. In Montgomery, Alabama, and the governor declares martial law, and President Kennedy is now thrown in with both feet into a space race that he didn't want to have and civil rights, which he didn't want to deal with. And um, he had signed an executive order um, a little bit before all of this happened that um, said that it was now – that that federal agencies could no longer discriminate on the basis of race and that federal contractors couldn't discriminate on the basis of race. And because he set such a short timetable to put an American on the moon, NASA was now about to ramp up from practically zero up to 250,000 new employees. And because of this executive order – African-Americans were going to have to be in that mix. You could no longer say, no, 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 we we, we don't hire blacks here. This, this is, is where
3: Ed comes in. Touch on your history here. Uh, you know, the larger question that w- was being thrown around, and the same thing happened during the Tuskegee Airmen, is could a black fly in space? Could a black uh, learn enough knowledge, technical knowledge, to fly in space? And was there uh, some physiological issues associated with it? Uh, so I was subjected to all of these uh, sorts of things as, I, as, I, as part I, of a pre astronaut training as program. A, yes, yes, yes. And even there, yeah. you faced hurdles. And oh, the, I mean, the whole thing, you know, w- you know, was a bit of a nightmare, and, and it was way ahead, uh, you know, because of what Richard has pointed out. Uh, you know, this is not the way to select astronauts. Uh, uh, you know, if uh, you're know, statistically uh, correct, you, you end up appointing five to get one, <laughs> uh, you know. And so, so, so that was an incredible amount of pressure. And, uh, and the White House ended up spending a great deal of time communicating with me and, and sending people out uh, to make sure that I got treated properly in training. It's kind of an amazing
2: thing that happened to Ed during the course of all of this. I mean, after he got through uh, phase one of the astronaut training program, um, he became an enormous national celebrity. I mean, it, it is, it is, it's fair to say that in the black press, there was nobody bigger than Ed Dwight. I mean, Ed, you mm-hmm. were on the cover of all the magazines. You were on right. the front pages of all the newspapers. Mm-hmm. He was not yet an astronaut, but the consensus in the African-American community seemed to be this man is going mm-hmm. to be the first black astronaut. Mm-hmm. He is the person that's going to make sure that African-Americans are part of this enormous, right national project to get an American on the moon.
0: Ed was one of 26 qualified candidates recommended for astronaut training, but NASA whittled that list down to 14 men mm. and you weren't on it. Mm, right. So how did those who looked up to you react to that?
3: Well, you know, you know it was directly related to Kennedy's death uh and uh p- prior to that time uh, uh they they began to come around because it was assumed that Kennedy was going to be alive and stay with me throughout the project uh, and when he got killed uh the the ceiling fell in <laughs> when you speak to
0: others who make that journey into space how do you feel
3: oh i you know i'm you know i'm proud of all the folks uh you know in the training you get a taste of it, and you you think of what would it have been like had i gone i've gone into near space and doing the training uh, section of it uh, but uh you know i 'm very, very close to several of the guys, and we you know we communicate we do things together, we do programming together, we teach the kids together, and so uh, so it it, it is it has evolved into a community.
0: Ed Dwight Jr. and Richard Paul. Ed is now a celebrated Denver sculptor. Richard Paul is co-author of We Could Not Fail, a book highlighting the struggles and successes of African Americans in NASA's early days. I spoke to them last year. An online petition is asking the federal government to recognize the accomplishments of Ed Dwight Jr. and make him an honorary astronaut. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. Many rural school districts in Colorado are still reeling, reeling from billions of dollars in state funding cuts that started during the recession. The state promised to pay the money back. It hasn't. So this November, a record number of school districts across the state are going to the ballot, trying to pass local property tax increases to make up for the state cuts. CPR's education reporter Jenny Brundine picks up the story from a school in northeastern Colorado, Kalichi Junior and Senior High. The school is smack dab in the middle of grain fields 15 miles from the Nebraska border.
4: Google Maps shows it's surrounded by irrigation circles. The nearest neighbor is a giant feedlot. Douglas Stutzman likes the freedom he has out here. The veteran principal laughs a lot. Um, I notice you have John Wayne up on your... The Duke! But when he gets going, Stutzman looks a lot like the John Wayne poster in his office. He's kind of angry that his district gets thousands of dollars less for each student than another district just a few miles away. That's because the complex funding formula in Colorado hasn't changed since 1994. And before that, voters passed the Tabor Constitutional Amendment, which means when the economy is better, most of the surplus
2: goes back to... To taxpayers do you understand what that does it screws it up forever you're not going to get rid of it and so we're stuck and now what are we going to do about it well what everybody's going to do about it is try to do mill levy overrides
4: those are local property tax increases
2: and pretty soon the communities that are willing to do that are going to have thriving schools and the communities that won't are going to be drying up and falling apart so these
5: they're kind of just missing valves and they don't match and
4: Falling apart is one way to describe the busted-up instruments in Ryan Rosette's music classroom.
5: These kind of things have holes all over them, and these are just trumpets. The
4: horns are rusting inside. Instruments are missing keys. Rosette was a coup for Kalichi. He's all the way from Hawaii. He's an oboist with a master's in concert performance. Rosette has grown the band here from three high school students to almost 20. He'd love to build a full band or orchestra, but doesn't have the instruments. I ask him how much longer he'll stay here.
5: I I have a hard time answering that because I really I really bonded with the students here. I think that um, it's hard to say because music costs money. And so seeing these guys kind of, oh, you can't play that because you're missing a key, so just put it up an octave. Or we have a Barry Sax player at the beginning of the year, she was playing on a saxophone that we had to duct tape the, the tone holes off so that it could work. It's things like that that I just kind of, it's sad. Here and I, I just assumed that it was like Maui. That was Rosette
4: and I are driving back from Lou's Buffalo Cafe, the closest place
5: to eat. But at the same time, I just thought there would be no financial crisis because we we're in a school and the governments fund schools. And I just thought,
4: School funding is a tale so complex it's often lost on voters. 111 of the state's 178 public school districts ask voters for property tax increases in the past six years. Just over half were approved. Those districts are often along the front range. It's a tough sell in rural conservative Colorado, where anti-tax, anti-government sentiment runs as deep as the wheat fields are wide. Even Principal Stutzman wonders how long he'll be able to keep Brian Rosette. Before he came to Caliche, Stutzman lost a music teacher to Wyoming. The teacher promptly got a $20,000 pay raise. Some of the money from this district's ballot proposal would go to attract and retain teachers. Salaries start here at 30000 But because average wages are low in the region, math teacher Chris Roth says it can be hard to convince residents to raise teachers' salaries.
6: Parents even will say, I mean, you're a teacher for the kids, you know, the salary, <laughs> you know. But
4: Roth says... He is in it for the
6: kids. What angles in these two triangles are equal to each other? But when he looks at wages in
4: neighboring states...
6: Yeah, I mean, it makes you want to look around.
4: Stutzman does all he can. For his last two hires, he even found them a place to live.
2: Boy, if I could find uh, boyfriends and girlfriends for him, I'd do that too. The ballot measure could also
4: restore some of the electives like creative writing, exploratory science, and history electives that have been cut. And then... There's the infrastructure. The building is about 40 years old, but there are problems. Stutzman calls over to some kids to help lay irrigation pipe. They have to do this to water the baseball field. There's no money for underground sprinklers.
2: Have you seen that anywhere on the planet
4: recently?
0: Hey, brain, slide that way a little bit, guys. That's
4: all part of school in rural Colorado. The water treatment facility is old, so water in the drinking fountains, it's...
6: kind of nasty.
4: The sewer system sometimes shuts down. It's not modern. Then Stutzman orders porta-potties for out front. After laying pipe, Braden East gives a wish list for what he'd like to see at the school.
3: New books would be nice. They're all ripped up, and there's people from the
1: late 90s that used those books that we can see in the entry log. The yeah,
7: track is definitely on the list. That is definitely on the list.
1: That's
4: Kayla Zink. She's sitting on the gravel track.
7: It's just like running on a dirt road, pretty much. I mean.
4: You can't run in lanes. There are no lanes. Starting blocks don't work on a gravel track. You can't wear your racing shoes.
7: Like, that would just annihilate your spikes.
4: Zink oozes and ahs about the track she's raced on in Metro Denver. But a dirt track didn't slow down this senior. She won the state 100-meter championship. And that's the thing. There are a lot of things the school doesn't have, but it does the best it can with what it has. It's a good school on state rankings, with most test scores above state averages. And these kids in ag class say they know what this small school does give them. Here's Makia Hernandez and Ebony Lester.
3: You know the people around you better, and you get along with them easier. And if you ever need something, they're always there for you. There's more student
7: teacher interaction and you learn more and it actually sticks.
4: Back in Ryan Rosette's music class. So
5: if Mozart is known for his operas, then Beethoven is known for his what? Symphony. Rosette,
4: if he could get the numbers, would one day love to have a school symphony. For now, He's focusing on what he has.
5: This high school group is kind of a jazz band right now. We have a drum set that's um, well falling apart. And then we have bells that don't work. But and the kids, what's, what's crazy about it, though, and one of the reasons why I think I'm going to stick around here for a little longer is regardless of how messed up everything is, and as much as I try to fix whatever I can, they're willing to still try. Um, yeah.
4: Voters go to the polls November 8th. The last time the RE1 Valley School District passed a property tax increase was before the recession in 2005 for $500,000. This time, they're asking for four times that amount to make up for the $2 million in lost state funding. I'm Jenny Brendine, Colorado Public Radio News.
0: Up next, a major road is closing near Rocky Mountain National Park until Memorial Day. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. A major road to Rocky Mountain National Park will close beginning October 17th and continue until next Memorial Day. It's U.S. 34 through the Big Thompson Canyon in northern Colorado. CPR's Bob Lafley joined Mike Lamp with a look at the project.
7: The Big Thompson Canyon's roads and bridges were damaged in 2013. Temporary repairs have been in place since then, and now permanent fixes are being put in place?
6: Yes. The uh, canyon and its residents not only experienced major flooding in 2013, but they also suffered from a flash flood in 1976. So CDOT has been studying the flow of the river in the canyon, looking for not only safety improvements, but solutions to protect roads and bridges against future floods. I talked with Jared File at the Transportation Department. He says one section they're working on right now is a giant curve that got washed out in both 76 and 2013.
1: We are actually going to allow the river just to do what it wants to do, and we're actually going to cut through the mountain and basically cut off that curve. So the river will continue along that curve, and the road's basically going to go over it through the mountain
6: on the other side. Jared said that's the blasting they're doing that's causing the daily delays that folks are seeing ahead of the full closure in October.
7: So the canyon will be closed to through traffic starting October 17th, stay closed until Memorial Day, the end of May of next year access to 34, restricted to canyon residents, emergency services. How will people who live there, the residents of Big Thompson Canyon, get to and from their homes?
6: Well, residents will have permits, allowing them through the canyon from 6 to 8.30 in the morning and from 4 to 7 in the late afternoon or evening. That permitting process is currently underway, but CDOT spokesman Jared Files says traffic will not be free-flowing even for permit holders.
1: They're going to have to have a pilot vehicle that they'll have to follow, and so that as that goes through the three-mile stretch that's going to be closed, it it could take a while. And so we don't want people to think that just because you got a permit, you're going to be able to cruise up and down whenever you want and, and get there in a timely fashion. It's still going to be slow going.
6: Jared said CDOT wants people to start using a detour route that goes through Lyons, then up to Estes Park. He says while it looks like it's a long way out of the way, it's only a 15-minute difference. He said daily blasting delays of up to 30 minutes are happening now, so use the detour now and save time. Now,
7: U.S. 34 is an important route for people who live in that area going to and from their houses. It's also the way a lot of people get to Rocky Mountain National Park. And now that that is being closed, what do drivers need to do to get to Rocky Mountain Park while that road is closed?
6: Well, CDOT suggests people take U.S. 36 and Highway 66 as a detour. It's also worth noting that Rocky Mountain National Park has been seeing an increase in visitors in the fall.
7: And this fall, they'll need to be aware that U.S. 34 will be closed beginning October 17th. Thanks, Bob.
6: You're welcome.
0: CPR's Mike Lamp and Bob Lafley. CDOT will hold an open house about the project on Tuesday in Estes Park. We have details at (laughs) CPRnews.org. And that's our show. But before we go, Colorado's got a big race at the top of the ballot this year. The contest for U.S. Senate between incumbent Democrat Michael Bennett and Republican Daryl Glenn. We'll be interviewing candidates on Colorado Matters, and we'd like to know what questions you have for them. Send them to news at CPR.org, and you might hear it on air. I'm Nathan Hevel. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.